0: RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. I want to welcome a Kiwi, but he's not in New Zealand right now, and that is Greg Simons, who was up until recently an assistant professor and researcher at uh, the University of Uppsala in Sweden. Greg, welcome to the program. Did I pronounce that Uppsala correctly? Is that how it's said?
1: About as close, as close as most Kiwis get it, so it's pretty good. Okay. But you're not in Sweden right now. Where are you? No, I'm in Liepaja, which is a Latvian coastal town, uh, about 400 kilometres away from Vilnius, where all the uh, buzz is happening in Europe at the moment. Okay. Well, I want
0: to talk about um, the NATO summit. Is that what they call it? Is it a summit?
1: Yeah, correct.
0: Okay. For some reason, even though we're nowhere near Europe, our Prime Minister is there.
1: Yes, quite mysterious uh, for something called the North Atlantic Treaty Organization to have someone from uh, the South Pacific. But I think this is a reflection of the changing uh, geopolitical landscape. If we look what's been happening in recent years, uh, NATO there has been attempts to creep it further around the world i mean it, it started in europe it spread through europe but i mean if we looked under trump they tried to spread it into the middle east uh, under trump uh, moving it into a, an arab nato and now you've got talks of it being spread to the uh, indo-pacific as the americans call it uh, as a containment uh, of china so yeah, it's gradually been uh, spread uh, increasingly globally or an attempt at least to do that.
0: And we're, and we're taking part, we're, we're sort of in the club, are we?
1: Well, one would hope not to be in this club because uh, membership usually entails uh, being an object rather than a subject of events. And now is definitely not the time uh, to be an object of events. International relations.
0: When you say object, an object belonging to who? The United States, is it?
1: Pretty much, because if you look, what has been happening recently, there have been a lot of threats made, not only to uh, those who oppose or resist uh, U.S. domination, but even its allies. I mean, for example, Hungary has has been not. Uh, playing ball, so to speak, with with some of the things. And it is part of the European Union, it is part of NATO, and the US has been uh, applying sanctions (laughs) to that for uh, not giving weapons to Ukraine, for example.
0: So what's behind this? Because we know that um, the United States' petrodollar reserve currency is a bit shaky. Um, Mm -hmm. They have outsourced a lot of their... Economy to well places like China. China yep. seems to be rolling over the top of them, so to speak, economically. Oh, definitely, is definitely. is this their way of trying to survive when they know that they've probably screwed it up somewhere?
1: <laughs> well, they, they definitely know they've screwed it up, and that it's a cl- it's a close call. I'll, I mean, if we go back uh, to this the last U.S. presidential elections, I mean. The pledge was that the US, uh, un, well, under Biden, which is rather interesting, but take back global leadership, which implies that they believe they had this uncontested global leadership, which no longer exists. And, of course, to do that, I mean, this this is rooted um, in US geopolitics and... Uh, there was one fellow, Brzezinski, who in 1997 elaborated. There were three geostrategic imperatives for the United States to keep its uh, hegemonic position—that is, number one dog in, in the in the world—and that was uh, to keep its vassal states dependent uh, and pliant, uh, to keep its client states. Protected and pliant, and to prevent the rise of any powers or groups of powers that could challenge US hegemony. And when I talk about powers or groups of powers, this also not only includes those who oppose or are in conflict with the US, but its allies as well. So if we look at what's been happening to the uh, European Union under the Ukraine war, I mean, it's been pretty effectively, as Germany in particular, de-industrialized uh, by uh, U.S. policy and actions.
0: Yeah, that, that's and, really surprising that they've let that happen to themselves. Uh, yes, how do we explain um, that?
1: <laughs> uh, I, I would give it the unflattering title of slave mentality of these uh, many of the Western leaders who, I mean, one just needs to look at the visuals when you see what so-called Western leader going to meet Biden or Biden going to meet that leader. It's like having a school child brought before the principal uh, and reprimand because they stand there looking very sheepish. Uh, and subservient, and Biden is trying to say something coherent. I'm not <laughs> sure the success <laughs> of day. this, or not. <laughs> not even on a good day by the no. I'd say. Uh, and, and I mean, it, it's just, I mean, it's cringe watching them debase themselves because theoretically they represent their country. So they're not only represent themselves, they represent their country and they're behaving like this. So this is why I call it a kind of inner slave mentality, which they've developed. And of course, if you look way back, I mean, NATO, uh, they had a slogan um, when it was formed about what the purpose of NATO was. It was to keep Germany down, the United States in, and Russia out of Europe. (laughs) So, I mean, this is still relevant today.
0: Yeah, but um, that um, that sort of um, worshipping mentality, is that really the, the personality of the politicians that are elected these days? Because I can't see how the population would be supporting that, especially if they're seeing their, you know, you mentioned the of Germany. That means economic pain. Yeah. Uh, you can push the people only so far, I would imagine.
1: Correct. I mean, they've been pushed a lot so far, and there's a a massive gap opening between people and uh, political leaders. I mean, just look what's happening in France at the moment. Uh, And I think Germany may not be that far behind. But then (laughs) this comes into the role of mainstream media. And these, I mean, it's like these events, these massive events do not exist. They they are just not covered yeah yeah they're not
0: they're not apparent to the average person right they're just not there no
1: no because there's there's two ways they they treat these events one is to ignore them and and this is the first point uh which they quite often do that's the preferred way but the second one is to justify or explain something and so, I mean, <clears throat> when you get un- unrest, of course, then, of course, you can bring in the bogeyman. Uh, it's Russia's fault. It's China's fault. It's <clears throat> anyone's fault but theirs. And so, hence, you you get th- th- this kind of attempt to instill but I mean the the people are getting sick and tired of it and you're you're getting great resistance I mean it's found in voting patterns it's found in this public resistance uh, to these rules and edicts
0: Let's talk about uh, Russia-Ukraine because um, I think it's pretty clear that uh, probably in most countries what is being reported about this war is not the full story and mm-hmm. it always seems to be biased towards Ukraine. In fact, um, here this morning, there's a story um, in our local media about how, you know, the uh, Russian casualties have been manipulated down and all this sort of stuff. And OK, that may be so. But what I read from alternative media is that the Ukraine Ukrainians have has, have lost maybe minimum 10 to 1 to Russians and their yep. casualty and death figures are up in the, you know, almost half a million I think uh, mm-hmm. close to 20 million people have deserted the country. It's an absolute oh, yes. mess. We yep. don't hear about that. What is no. the true state of that conflict, do you think?
1: Well, okay, first of all, I think it's quite interesting to understand why is the conflict occurring in the first place? Uh, and, and then move to this, uh, what is the current state of things? So, I mean, if we look in 1990, And this is one thing that the U.S. and its uh, so-called allies and partners have been trying to deny. James Baker, in the negotiations with the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev in particular, gave the promise NATO would not move one inch eastward if the Soviet Union agreed uh, to the reunification of Germany which they did. It's public record in Germany. So you you can actually get this document. So it makes it hard to deny. And ever since then, you've had this incremental eastward march, and it's gone. And in 1997, you actually had a group of US practitioners, and these guys were pretty high up and serious people uh, in foreign and security policy in the US. And they warned, If NATO keeps on moving eastward, there will be a conflict with the Russian Federation at some stage. So they gave a clear warning. And of course, we can move forward later to 2008, with the Georgian-Russian War, uh, and just before that, the promise to move uh, NATO into uh, Georgia and Ukraine, uh, which both Germany and France vetoed. So you've had this incremental step by step, uh, which has been deteriorating relations a lot. Okay, so then we we, we move. So this, is, of course, has Russia uh, on its toes, uh, because I mean there have been these so-called coloured revolutions, which have been taking out uh, different uh, regimes across the former Soviet space, and uh, th- this has not helped matters at all. And so what we have, uh, if we look at February. Um, last year, the situation was you you had this narrative uh, that that the US was driving uh, an inevitable and imminent Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, But if we look at that stage, even uh, the Ukrainian Defence Minister was saying there was no imminent invasion uh, because, I mean, according to military doctrine, you should have a three to one numerical advantage if you attack someone. They didn't have that. Uh, But at the same time, Ukraine was building up uh, its forces in Donbas, which is uh, in the eastern part of Ukraine, those contested territories. And this is why the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe removed their monitor mission from that space, because they knew a war was coming. Uh, because the Ukrainians were about to attack. And you can find this on the OSCE website, where they document this increase in artillery strikes and this increase of uh, military movement on the Ukrainian side. So this leaves with two options, ignore it or preempt it uh, from a Russian perspective. Now, (laughs) And neither side uh, option is too good. But at the same time uh, that this is happening, you've got these U.S. figures, these lovely people like Victoria Nuland, uh famous for her cookies uh, in Kiev during Maidan, and she was and her and others were saying uh, that uh, Ukraine is going to become another Afghanistan uh for russia so this is a a reference to uh the afghan war 79 89 Uh, and so you got these american neocons salivating at this prospect uh because yeah russia's been a bit of a pain in the backside uh for a couple of decades so this chance when when you
0: say pain in the backside uh, what sort of pain What's of pain?
1: Well, for example, uh, I mean, what they did in Syria, they prevented the fall of uh, the Syrian government uh, and the replacement like what was done in Libya uh, and uh, contesting and strengthening uh, those areas. And generally, uh, their foreign policy has become one of opposing U.S. Uh, Foreign policy aims and goals. Blame <laughs> the Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't blame them uh, from their perspective. I mean, it's uh, something which has been brewing. So, okay, so you you have this attack, and I mean, the the point is, I mean, I've been travelling to Ukraine for some time. So, I mean, you could you could really feel. Uh, I've been I've been travelling there since about two thousand and seven. <clears throat> so this was after uh, the. Orange Revolution, and I was traveling there until 2019. Uh, no, 2020, so the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. <clears throat> and, I mean, you could really feel this heavy propaganda, anti-Russian propaganda, which was really driving hatred uh, for all things Russia and Russian. Uh, and, of course, that's divisive in the country because you have it maybe about 20% ethnic Russians, but you've got a very close relations uh, family-wise as well as business-wise across both sides of the border. And the fact is you have many ethnic Ukrainians whose native language is Russian. And I mean, to illustrate the point, I mean, back in 2000 and I think it was about 10, I was in Sevastopol and there was a tour guide taking us around the Black Sea fleets because at that stage you had the Russian and the Ukrainian Black Sea fleets side by side. And we we're going around. And so I asked her the provocative question. So, you know, what's, you know how's it to be uh, here in Sevastopol? And she says, well, I've been born in Ukraine in Sevastopol. I've lived my whole life in Sevastopol but I'm Russian. So it it kind of illustrates the point. And, yeah, I mean, what what you have now is this, uh, I mean, Putin went in there, that Russian military miscalculated because they didn't go in with full force. There was no shock and war like you saw in Iraq in 2003 uh, because they made a number of misjudgments. And the, the, the fact is, what you have currently, I mean, Ukraine is in every sense a client state. And uh, this is coming into that Brzezinski uh, imperative. I mean, uh, keep them protected and pliant. So th- this is at the moment. And I mean, you, you've had the likes of um, US uh, senators and so forth saying things like Lindsey
0: Graham. Right. Lindsay oh, Graham. Oh,
1: yes. Oh, he's one of them. <laughs> Uh, he's a piece things, of work oh yeah well i think that's diplomatic but yeah, yeah. um so <laughs> saying things like putting uh, as long as we keep supply as uh, supplying ukraine with weapons they will fight to the last ukrainian uh, so tell me that's about democracy sovereignty and uh, all of this it, it seems um, it, it seems though that they won't they're going to lose Russia, they, they are, Russia they can are crush losing.
0: them, crush them literally, mm. right? Yes.
1: But I think still, I mean, if you look at the the average ratio of uh, civilian to uh, military casualties in a war, uh, the civilian casualties are relatively very low. I mean, you, you look at what's, what the US did in Iraq, flat, flattening cities and so forth. I mean, it's a much higher ratio, or World War II for that matter. So, I mean, they're, they're still uh, not going as hard as they could. And the, these ideas of these mass, you know, Soviet attacks like you saw in the Second World War, uh, it's just not, not even coming true. And you've got these ones saying they're running out of tanks using T-34s and uh these world war ii tanks and things uh, i mean you've got a lot of propaganda and it's not very credible i mean you, you look on telegram channels and you see those poor uh ukrainian conscripts i mean i mean these guys are literally being dragged off the gagged uh, into vans on the streets yeah yeah, yeah exactly i mean it's, it's a modern shanghai and they they're getting shipped off to the front with minimal training against battle hardened and well trained and motivated soldiers. And and then you're getting these guys surrendering, and you do genuine, genuinely feel deeply sorry for these guys because, I mean, they are just in an in, inner circle of hell because they have no control over their lives. I mean, if we look at Zelensky, I mean, yeah, <laughs> he was. His promise was to get yeah, uh, Ukraine out of the war in Donbas, and what he's achieved now is quite impressive. But I mean, Zelensky himself is a prisoner because he's so he, not. He,
0: he, he's got no room to move himself, is what you're no, saying. He's, he's, he's sort of trapped news. in in he's that trapped role. Trapped. Yeah,
1: because he's completely dependent on the US for his uh, continued survival and his uh, well basically milking the system for all it's got while all this cash foreign cash comes in uh but at the same time he's he's losing his country uh so the civilian population hates him
0: Great. <laughs> <laughs> right. how long have they got when is this going to be all over in your assessment before we get on to our prime minister being at the, um, at the NATO? I,
1: I, it's hard to say. It depends how, what the Russians do. My guesstimate would be that this so-called counteroffensive, which is an utter abysmal failure uh, on Ukrainians' part. I mean, the, lo- the losses of equipment and, more importantly, manpower is colossal which they can afford neither. Uh, I would say that they're not gonna to have too much more to keep fighting with, so it, so it would make what, military what, what, sense.
0: What position does that put the United States and NATO in then, if if it's clearly, there's gonna be a loss, how can they take that? It's a huge loss of face and-
1: Oh yes, well, th- th- there are two ways of doing this. Uh, double down on stupidity and actually send uh troops in there and have a direct confrontation which can lead to nuclear war, it'd be kind of like being on a on the set of uh Doctor Strange Love. Yeah, I was
0: thinking about yeah. that.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. It's almost like a real real life version of the film. Yeah.
1: Or alternatively, the sensible way, which I don't really have any faith in they cut and run. I mean, because this is what the US has done traditionally to those who are no longer any value. I mean, look at South Vietnam, for example. They cut and ran uh, after a while. And they've done it to numerous other allies. And if we look also, I mean, the, these kinds of proxies have not had a good fate. Because if we remember back, while they're talking about this, I mean, people ignore from 1980 to 1989. Uh, the U.S. and its allies supplied Saddam Hussein and Iraq with chemical weapons, uh, advanced weapons, to attack Iran, which had uh, given the U.S. a little bl- uh, bloody nose uh, after the Iranian revolution. And then in 1990, they took him down. <laughs> so, uh, and I mean, Zelensky can't move anywhere. He can't make peace because the U.S. won't let him. And if he does make peace, his own... Extremist elements uh, in his government and security forces will kill him. Uh, He's he's
0: a dead man. He's a dead man walking, isn't he? Dead man walking, gotta
1: be. I I pretty much think so. Yeah. So I would think also one thing which some people don't factor in: in November next year, we got the U.S. presidential elections. So this might hasten uh, a U.S decision either way, double down on stupidity or uh, cash out uh, of this uh, stupid game. And I think this will depend on how much it hurts the American economy, how pissed off uh, American citizens are getting. And I think that will come with further inflation, uh, unemployment, uh, all these unpleasant things.
0: Okay, on to our Prime Minister being at this NATO summit. Are we being played around with, like, by, you know, the bigger powers like Ukraine's being played around with, potentially anyway?
1: Oh, definitely. There is an attempt to turn New Zealand into an object rather than a subject. Now, an object is played around with, a subject has some kind of self-determination. Uh, or some, at least, manoeuvrability to secure and protect its interests. Uh, I mean, it's a, this is the crazy thing, I mean, because uh, living in Sweden, I've seen them do exactly, I mean, go this road. Uh, because, uh, I mean, it took some a, couple, a decade or two of grooming uh, by the US and NATO uh, to turn public opinion a little bit. I mean, it, it's not a complete... Uh, majority, which is why they never held a referendum on joining NATO. And you, you see a country which positioned itself as a small force for good in the world. Now, that sounds a bit familiar, right? I've
0: heard that before. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so now, I mean, they're trying to join this club and I mean, what what's the reason? I mean, Finland tried this in 1941. After the, uh, the the Winter War of the Soviet Union, uh, which was an aggression by the Soviet Union, they chose to ally with Nazi Germany against the Soviet Union, and they shifted from being uh, a subject to an object, and, well, paid a heavy price for that. So yeah. it's a, a kind of replaying a, a stupid game. And, and I, I don't see it any good for New Zealand, because, if anything, they need to have some uh, leverage and manoeuvrability, this ability to hedge between different uh, actors and different big players, if you like. Because the U.S., okay, they nominally offer some kind of security guarantee, which, uh, which is pretty, uh, one can no, say- they, a, I don't think they'd be in a position-
0: they wouldn't be in a yeah. position to honor that now, would they? I mean, they're no, depleted they, on they ammunition not. and weapons and everything. Yeah. They yeah. really d- can't do the job anymore, is, no. is what people are saying. They, they
1: cannot. I mean, if we look at their um, dignified uh, departure from Afghanistan, that kind of uh, says it all. Uh, and that, that wasn't so long ago.
0: That was a train wreck.
1: Oh uh, yeah, I would say like like the one in East Palestine, um, maybe a bit worse with this. Yeah, I mean because I mean they're at the end of their tether. I mean you got a military which is basically in meltdown. You've got uh, they can't even uh, fill the recruiting numbers, Uh, and the recruits they got are. shall we say, not the best quality <coughs> of, of <No>. recruits, anything. <laughs> yeah. And they've got, basically,
0: I mean, they've yeah. gone woke, haven't they? They've gone completely woke. Yes.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you, I, I gather you've seen some of their recruiting advertisements. Yes, I have. Oh, my God. Oh, dear. That's something yeah. you cannot unsee.
0: Really. If I was a Russian military commander, I'd be laughing. I'd be thinking these guys oh, are going no, these, th- th- these guys are amazing.
1: Yeah, They have been making comments about this. There have been a number of Russian uh, things which have been laughing at this wokeness. I heard uh,
0: someone say this comment, and it, it kind of stuck with me, is that the U.S. military have been clubbing baby seals for too long.
1: <laughs> Pretty As much. if to well, say you've not been fighting mean, but, any yeah.
0: real fighters. It's just been too easy, <laughs> no. and and you don't know what a real war is. You come up against mm-hmm. Russia. And yep. you might find that uh, you're, you're not in the same league. So, where no, does no, that just just because time is tight? Where does that leave New Zealand? And and what as citizens should we be thinking? I mean, you know, the media are making a quite a deal out of of Chrissy Hipkins being up there in um, at Vilnius, but really, does it mean anything good for our country in your assessment?
1: No, absolutely not. It's not meaning anything good. You're New Zealand will be forced to make a choice. The, the, uh, in spite of all their talk about sovereignty and ability to make choice, the Americans will ultimately uh, force on New Zealand the choice, and <coughs> well, not a choice, it's an ultimatum, <coughs> to cease uh, cooperation with China. That uh, this will be what they that will be what they do because China is the ultimate goal. If you look what the US is trying to do at the moment. It's trying to beat simultaneously uh, Russia and Europe, Iran and the Middle East, and China and the Indo-Pacific. India's not coming aboard. They need other uh, willing right. uh, leanings to join the join the So plot. we could
0: end up like Germany being, being yeah, well, muted I mean, of our economy. <clears throat> economic well, activity.
1: I would say maybe even worse because new zealand economy didn't start off on the same level uh, as the german economy
0: but it depends on china
1: yeah uh, it's dependent on china and uh, of course the u.s cannot and will not uh, offer economic opportunities that would compensate or offset the costs of ceasing business with china uh, I mean, that's clear. It's what they're doing with other countries uh, as we speak. You will see so things with China. Will you offer us something to offset the the, the losses? No, uh, no. because they've got nothing left to offer. Uh, so this is why they're becoming more coercive with, with time. And instead, they resort to things like flattery. So, uh, I mean, Chris Hipkins might, might feel flattered about uh, being there, but... Really, I mean, it comes at a, a rather big cost, and he is very much someone without a role, without any kind of say in this. Uh, and no, and we France. don't have
0: say, a say as citizens. No one's asked us if we want to go down this road. No, no one at all, actually. Well, of and course, and it I seems mean, to be huge consequences. We should, we should be. Yep.
1: <laughs> no, no. I mean, this is exactly what's happened with Sweden with the NATO, the non-existent NATO. Uh, debate which occurred or didn't occur. And I mean, so, I mean, they're using things like fear, fear that something bad can happen, something bad can happen to them, Russian invasion. I mean, because, okay, look at what's happening. Ukraine, they're doing this kind of same tactic which is used in these wars, that they try to boost it from being a local conflict to one with global consequences, but one which uh, I mean, I mean, you can't see the global consequences. The whole of democracy will be uh, undermined if Ukraine loses. Well, newsflash, Ukraine is not a democracy. And they sure as hell are not acting like one uh, in their current shape and form. It's a shame to see, because I remember a, a much brighter, happier, and more pleasant Ukraine uh from my trips there in the past. And and it's not encouraging to see what this conflict and what this Ukrainianization process driven by the US has done to the country and the region. Greg warning we'll for New Zealand.
0: No no, 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 we need that warning. Greg, we're gonna have <sighs> to leave it there just on time. Thank you for making some time uh for us, Greg Simons. Uh, Discussing um, obviously the Ukraine Russia thing and this uh, NATO summit. Um, And uh, Greg is an assistant professor and researcher. He was at the Uppsala University in Sweden. Great to have you on. Maybe we'll talk again sometime. Thank you.
1: Thank you.
0: Okay. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.